Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. Aaron is battling today, folks. She is highly questionable for the end of the pod. That's uh, it's not a new thing for us on the show. But have uh, I been not questionable in the last month? Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, you're opening to like a whole new business and everything. You're a very busy person, so it's it's, it's understandable that uh, uh, that you're questionable. As a, a father of two small children, I'm also questionable every day. So it's just <laughs> welcome to the show, folks. Welcome to the show. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, share the product, follow us on the Twitters, check out the YouTube. Uh, Aaron and the fam does a great job putting everything together. Um, we're just going to refer to your brother, by the way, as the fam from here on out on the show, if that's okay with him. Young Sean P. Diddy Dugan, we call him. <laughs> It's way better than the fam. So um, <laughs> yeah, give old, give old P Diddy some love. Um, but go, so go check out the YouTube. Of course, you guys do a great job getting the show up every single week for y'all's enjoyment coming up on the show today. Not a, not a, not a lot of topics, but I think we we've got some fun topics and we're taking a little bit of a break from our state of the union tour around the sec. We will talk with Chris Spatola of ESPN. He is a college basketball analyst because you know, the tournament so he's going to give you every single SEC team. He's going to break down every single one that made the tournament. So he's going to talk Tennessee, Kentucky, Auburn, Arkansas, LSU, Alabama, final four predictions, the future of the tournament and how it could ex- and how it could just be the power five and their own 65 team tournament and what that would mean for brackets and fans and, and everything. So fascinating mm-hmm. conversation. I love Chris. He's an awesome, awesome dude. Uh, so Chris Matola coming up a little bit later on in the show. Again, a little minor break from football, not very often but occasionally um, some, some fan rules we thought we would discuss today on the show, because I see a lot of sensitive fans in the sec in particular, and not just the sec, but everywhere. Some sent some fan, some rules that we thought some guidelines we thought we would lay out for fans to just make, you know, here's some rules that you should follow. If you'd like to be a high quality elevated sports fan in the sec. You mentioned that last, was it last year that, Godfrey laid out a few of his what he felt like were the most sensitive teams. And do you want to name those, Braden? Well, it was it, what I asked is I have a nickname I, for these teams. Oh, do you? Okay. So we were talking about media and LSU and how the LSU media probably wasn't going to dive and dig too deep into all the all the things <laughs> around right. Co- Cocho and Les Miles. And while that might be doing obviously a disservice to any of the victims of it of that LSU and certainly the fans, that maybe the fans don't want to know. And I asked Godfrey, I said, well, who are the most, who are like the worst media conglomerates in the SEC? And he first mentioned Clemson, which of course is not in the SEC. That The Clemson media, just all they do is like carry water for the university. He, he mentioned Tennessee, Florida, and LSU as the big three in the conference that as a collection of media members don't really hold the university accountable or feet to the fire or critical of certain certain things or you know they're going to serve their own master a little bit if that makes sense like the first three he named he got around to lsu but were clemson florida and tennessee yep yep the ladies in orange (laughs) that's what i named them can we add auburn to that list (laughs) yeah of course and and that makes sense it's not even a stretch no it's not and it's not at all and i i think out like I can't tell if Alabama is in that group, but but I don't think they are. Well, well, m- media, I don't know, but the the fans, like we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think so. So, what part of why I wanted to do this is I'm just so sick and tired of college fans bitching about their seating in the tournament. I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Like you it literally can't. I, no, if you are like ten, and it's all my alma mater, it's Tennessee fans. All you guys have spent seventy-two consecutive hours complaining about being a three seed when that's probably true, but it doesn't actually change anything. If you're good enough to make it to the final four, you actually got a better draw in the three seed line that you got than if you would have been a two seed. I just, I just, and Chris is going to talk about this a little bit later on. I just, so I thought we would spend some time today just sort of laying out here are some guidelines for good fandom elevated classy fandom we could strive mm-hmm. much like jaspers to be the next evolution of the fandom here in the sec so that that we will spend a few minutes on that we're going to start with name image and likeness though because of the huge story in the athletic about an eight million dollar contract being mm-hmm. doled out to a 
not even a student athlete, a prospective student athlete. We're going to explain a little bit about what that means for people, what you need to know, what it means for the SEC and sort of recruiting moving forward. So we're going to do all of that today on the show. However, Fringe Element is brought to you by the wonderful folks at Jaspers. And Jaspers, right now, this week, I guess it's over the course of the next few weeks, has a gift for you, folks. They do indeed. Sign, Tell them to- what the gift is, Brady. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. Go to the Twitter account at 440 Sports. There's a link right there pinned on top of the profile to a bracket challenge. Free to enter for anyone who listens to the show. Go enter the bracket challenge. The winner will get a $100 gift card to Jasper's which also can be used on any of their other locations. They've got locations in Mississippi and in Alabama, but a bunch of different restaurants in Nashville. So if you're listening to the show and you want to compete, Aaron's in there, I'm in there, fill out your bracket, one entry, you heathens, you get one entry, mm-hmm. one sheet of integrity, and uh, Jasper's is going to give away free money. So free stuff on the show. Go to Jasper's and check out the Twitter account on 440 Sports and fill out your bracket, all right? I don't want people coming in and criticizing brackets or our knowledge based on our bracket because I would venture to say I think about I fill my bracket out very quickly because whenever you really try to think through it you you just spend so long and something screws you up so I go somewhere between the marriage of sports knowledge and clicking really fast Because don't you feel like when you really, really try, you're like, oh, okay, I'm really going to think this through. And then something crazy happens in the first round, your whole bracket screwed up. So it's like the Tinder profile of sports gambling, yes. right? Like you're just like, boom, 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 Gonzaga, boom, Tennessee, boom, Louisville, mm-hmm. boom, Michigan. Oh, no, yep. not you, not you, Duke, not you, yep. Kentucky. And you've got to pick some, you've got in those 5, 12, 4, 13 matchups, you got it. You got to pick some lower seeds in those. Six those 11s, will always get you. Six 11s. Very. Yep. The 11s have won a lot of games lately in the last few years. Uh, I've never been on Tinder, but I'm, I appreciate you giving me the uh, I stamp, don't have stamp of Tinder. Approval. I don't use Tinder either. No, you only use dating the trashiest. apps. trashiest. You only use dating apps where you have to be approved to be on the dating app. It's very yeah. fancy. It's very fancy. fancy. The stingier, Again, the better. It's on brand for us talking about being elevated this week. All right. <laughs> Elevate, elevated sports fans. I don't know if elevated could describe me at all right now. Also, that's there are true. birds of prey circling outside my window, and I'm pretty sure they're coming for me. <laughs> they know what's the end, left of me. They, they know, know the I'm close to death. Oh, God. Um, mm. Okay. Go to Jasper's, the next elevation of the sports bar. We're going to give you the next elevation of sports fandom and only on the next elevation of dating apps. Okay. Go, go before to, you go die. To, go to Jasper's. Okay, so the name, image, and likeness story out by The Athletic, there's been a lot of follow-ups on this, a lot of interviews, and a lot of talk about this. And I thought we would try to lay it out real quickly for SEC fans. What do we think it means for the future moving forward? Because I think the headline is pretty it's pretty monstrous, and, and it feels really heavy. I, I think we want to clarify some of the things that people are saying about all of this. Now, this was a 2023 five-star recruit. This is, again, according to The Athletic, Stuart Mandel, I believe, had a chance to look at the contract that was signed. It's a $350,000 signing bonus and up to $2 million per year for this particular athlete over the course of his college career. And there's a bunch of different things you kind of need to know about this. Mm-hmm. Probably a quarterback. I'm just, I'm just guessing here, um, but probably a quarterback. Most marketable. Not allowed to, you know, the school specifically, because this has been signed with a collective. So nobody even knows which collective this was. If you want to know what a collective is, go back and listen to our episode about collectives a few mm-hmm. weeks a few weeks ago. What's fascinating is that what this is, is you're selling your own name, image, and likeness rights. You're not actually endorsing any companies. What this collective is doing is signing the exclusive rights of this athlete to then go out and try to sell it to advertisers or marketers or promotions, promotional people or whatever. And I find it like the hit rate on a five-star quarterback It's probably about 50%. So if this is a five-star quarterback, there's a 50-50 chance this guy's not even going to be good at football. And -hmm. if he's not good at football, there's no way in hell you are recouping $8 million in endorsement deals for this player over four years. there are some things written in there to protect these collectives. Not not in this particular deal, but but many. But yes, but others. And I want want to get to... 
how this could turn predatory for athletes very quickly. I think okay, that's yeah. a, a major concern, but I think just can go on, back to that because this deal seems to have been written out very carefully by a lawyer. It's, it's fascinating to me. Like what you're going to have to have is communication between your collective at your school. Let's say LSU's collective or Tennessee's collective or Alabama's collective and the coaching staff with which players they want, which is not going to be legal because the school's not allowed to talk to the collective. If the Tennessee collective goes out and offers $6 million to a recruit, the Tennessee coaching staff better want that player. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Like you could get yourself into some trouble. Very quickly. It's all, this is a new, I don't know, this, this article specifically that we were reading about this particular athlete with the $8 million, this article definitely opened my mind to a few other things about you know, not only how this could go wrong, but just how words are hard for me right now. It, it could, it could, it's, it could go wrong a lot of different ways. I, I yeah, agree yeah. with you. That's one of the things that I took away from it. And but then how yeah. the donor driven s- stuff works as well. This is where you have to understand what a collective is. A collective is operating on behalf of a university, but not allowed to communicate with the university. The university can have no impact or, or input on what this collective does. But everybody sort of knows that I think it's I think it's Spire Sports or something like that it, that is clearly driven. It is about the University of Tennessee, mm-hmm. and, yep. and and frankly, they're ahead of the curve. Tennessee is way ahead of the curve on this because and and there are a few programs that I think should be South Carolina, I think uh, Arkansas. I think there's a few programs in the SEC that could benefit the most from this if they get organized quickly and Tennessee is right now sort of you know the the one that's ahead of this and that's the one we talked about a couple of other weeks ago on the show that collective then just goes out and sells your your rights to to advertisers and promotional companies and sure it could be a barbecue joint in 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 Auburn but it also could be a, a massive multi-million dollar marketing firm from you know that represents like i don't know major international companies mm-hmm. so so the collective represents unofficially a university. And when you sign with that, that collective, there's nothing in writing that says you have to go to that, to Tennessee, but the language of the, of the contract indicates that if you aren't at the university of Tennessee, then the contract is null and void. Me, things like, um, like you have to like be able you to can't a- make a- appearances for your right, next exactly. university, which could potentially keep kids from wanting to ever enter the transfer portal exactly or sign somewhere else so like if i'm a five-star recruit out of birmingham and i decide to go to tennessee and i sign a contract with this company that is going to sell all my name image and likeness but then i decide to go to lsu instead mm-hmm. well if i can't be in knoxville for bi-monthly appearances at whatever car wash or autograph session or community outreach then obviously the contract is null and void and then i don't get any of the money Right. And, and so it's, it is, it's wild. I will admit right now that I was dead wrong about the dollar figures um, and how big this was going to spin up, how quickly it was going to spin up. And I thought for sure that, you know, the free market would dictate all of this. I still think that's true, Aaron. Like I still think how many contracts are going to be worth $8 million? I just don't think very many. I think we're going to, this reminds me of the NBA drafting high school kids and all of them like burning out in the late nineties and the early two thousands. And, and they had to put the one and done rule in to protect the NBA from itself. Mm-hmm. And I don't think these companies, like, I don't, unless you're just willing to fork over large sums of money to just randomly get players to come to your school. And then you're totally fine. If it doesn't work out, I don't know. Which leads us to some of the provisions that certain collective collectives or agencies or whatever we want to call them collectives, I guess, are putting in there that could potentially be dangerous to the student athlete or their families or everybody in between, which there's in part of this article, it reads exactly this in one draft version of another, of another deal, the athletic reviewed the athletic did this article, the collective agreed to pay an athlete 1.5 million across two years, but could from time to time in quotes, ask for repayment of that money plus a 10% commission and expenses, even if the agreement were to be terminated. So if that doesn't scare you, it should as an athlete. And maybe, I mean, I think I'm understanding that correctly, which is just that. uh, If you don't fulfill the obligations, you can have to repay the money. Now, the way you stop that is to have representation looking over this. And this is where it gets predatory. A lot of these 
Yes. A lot of these companies are getting kids to sign these contracts without the contracts being reviewed by legal representation or agents or, you know, management, whatever it might be. And so kids are definitely going to have to, you need some professionals around you now. Right. And even if you haven't signed, if you are in direct contact, someone listening, if you are a student athlete or in direct contact with someone who is in this particular situation, there are plenty of lawyers that would be happy to look over this stuff per pro bono only with no payment on the front end. I know that it looks like, Oh, no matter which way you spend it, $2 million is better than just a scholarship. And that may be true, but someone will look over it for you without being paid extreme amounts on the front end. Well, unless it's uh, also like, it could be future earnings. True. So like if you end up going to the league and you've got in your contract, 3% of your future earnings go back to this other company, like, like the amount of ways this could become predatory is really scary. I, I agree with you on that. Um, even just this contract that The Athletic wrote about, which is a very, it, it appears, a very smart and savvy contract for this yes, recruit. Yes, that one. Mm-hmm. The, the two quotes, that, like the only way the contract could be, quote unquote, I guess, negated by the, by the collective itself is if, it, if the athlete violates the confidentiality agreement. Mm-hmm. or doesn't display the, quote, utmost character and integrity. And that's the one that really... So that's too vague. That's what I'm saying. That's like the lack of institutional control. Yeah, that's too vague. And that, sh- that should scare people because that can be skewed a lot of different ways and it can be completely subjective and that needs to have a lot more language around it. Conduct detrimental to the league, Aaron. What I mean, the what hell does that, that mean? <laughs> I mean, that could be, well... I mean, yeah, if, you cheat, if you cheat academically, if you get, if you have DUIs or if you have drug arrests, like I know what they're trying to. Yeah. But then that could expand to a lot more things. I know, it's not I know. defined. I, I know, know what you're saying. Also, yeah. who cares if you, who cares if somebody smokes some weed? Like who cares? Uh, like every other kid in college. Mm-hmm. So it, the, the point is, and let's kind of spin this forward to, to the SEC and some of the good of, of this. And here's the one thing I want to remind people of. If you see what these athletes are actually doing for this money, it is almost exclusively really good stuff. Mm-hmm. It is, it's being out there in your community, signing autographs for kids. It's doing events at a local, you know, whatever. It, it is going on a podcast so that fans of a particular team can learn more about their team. Like there's almost none, like none of this stuff is really, like almost all this stuff is something you'd be like proud to have your son or daughter do. It's not like bad thing. It's all good stuff. It's just how it's all being managed right now is the complete wild, wild west. And I think if you're on the ground, let's say in Auburn, and you go into a, you know, the, a barbecue joint, you know, the hound, no free shouts, and you see autographed photos of like the entire offensive line, like that's where you see the impact of it. That's where you're actually seeing what's taking place in real life, like in front of your face. Whereas all of us who aren't in those communities, you know, you're just sort of seeing a, an article about a kid or, a story about an athlete or whatever. So I think that's one thing to remember. The yep. other thing, the other thing to remember is I, I do think the free market will slow some of this down naturally. It's going to build and build and build and build and build. And then I think it's going to sl- sl- come back to earth a little bit more, more naturally, because again, what's the, out of all the five stars, about a quarter of them get drafted in the first round. About half of them are pretty good. So like you're going to have a lot of misses if you're handing out all these big contracts. For sure. And I think that as we, you know, look, take even another further step back, just keeping in mind or, and this will be the responsibility of not only, you know, the legal teams surrounding these athletes and just the school and everybody in in between keeping things in check, what we don't want to happen is the reason that this is a thing is because big business was beating out individual, the well-being of individuals as in the student athletes. So what we don't want is big business, excluding big business, it being the NCAA in this case, going in favor of other big businesses, which in this case would be the collectives. So we need to make sure we don't trade protecting a big business for protecting another big business and make sure that the student athletes still come out on top, which is going to be definitely a learning curve for everybody involved in the process. And I think for not just SEC fans, but all college football fans, what I think you need to look at is, and this is what I, this is, while I was dead wrong about the amounts of money, I still believe it that I'm dead right about who this benefits the most. Of course, Alabama benefits. Of course, mm-hmm. LSU benefits. George is going to benefit. But I think who it benefits the most 
are the teams with a ton of, you know, thirsty fan bases with lots of money and not a lot of success. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a handful of those in the SEC. And this will include Texas, frankly, a team that's going to be yeah. in the SEC. South Carolina. South Carolina, number one. Tennessee and South Carolina are the top two. I think Kentucky and Arkansas would absolutely fall into that category. Yep. Where you have a ton of money and not a whole lot of on-field success to show for all of that passion and commitment from the fans. Mm-hmm. And so I think if I'm South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, and maybe even Texas, yeah. if we've got all this money and we've got all these resources and we got nothing to show for it, this type of, th- this is how you're going to start taking recruits from Georgia and, and Alabama and Texas A&M, in my opinion. To- and totally, when you think about schools like Arkansas specifically and South Carolina in some ways, because, well, let me go Arkansas first. There's not professional athletics competing with those, the companies inside the state's budgets for marketing. So Arkansas is not really competing, you know, for marketing dollars with any other sports team. There's, there's nothing else in the state. South Carolina is that way to a certain extent. Like you have teams close by, but South Carolina doesn't have a ton of competition. Texas is a different story, but it's also Texas. So you know, how they feel about high school recruits and how people follow them from these big high schools to University of Texas. So I don't think Texas marketing dollars is going to be a problem either for a lot of those schools, like you said, with having had a lot of success, but do have a lot of hungry, like big hungry fan bases and especially ones that don't have a lot of teams to compete with, I think could pay off. Yeah. I, I, I still think the same formula applies from the beginning of this to now and even whatever it looks like in the future, which is that if you can leverage the resources of your fan base to acquire talent, this rule will help you. And, and that's like, again, there's lots of details that and minutia that we've just talked about, but that is sort of at its truest form, the way this particular rule could help. And again, I think it's Tennessee, South Carolina, Arkansas, Kentucky, I don't think Missouri has the same level of resources. I, you know, Vanderbilt's got all the money it really wants. So it, it's more about like desire on Vanderbilt's part. And they don't have that. Know really. it. <laughs> you know, A&M doesn't need it. They're, they're spending and they're acquiring Alabama. Like, you know, Auburn's been the national title game. Florida's won national championships. Georgia's the defending champ. So to me, it's about how, how do I leverage 90,000 people in a building that haven't seen anything successful? Yeah. That is where this has been. I, I still believe that's where this is the most helpful for, for teams. So just wanted to throw it out there. And what's interesting is how agile are these collective marketing campaigns going to be? Because we're coming up on the tournament and it's one thing to like pinpoint a five-star quarterback and like try to get in or early on him and then have him market at your market, your brand for four years or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to not know who the walk-on shooting guard is who's about to like drain a three to beat Gonzaga in the second round of the playoffs <laughs> or second round of the tournament or a kicker who, who's like a walk-on kicker who comes off the bench, who makes a field goal in the iron bowl. And all of a sudden we need to get that guy's face on a t-shirt or on an Instagram video or whatever. Like how fast are we going to be able to turn this stuff around and actually create collateral? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is all these States that put rules in place, in the sec that we thought, Hey, these guys are ahead of the curve. They're actually now behind the curve because it actually limits your ability to earn some of these regulations that these States passed. And now these States in the sec are learning, Oh, we need to get all this shit off the books. Yeah. But let the, let the free market handle it. Let's get all these rules off the books. So it's, it is, it is, I am fascinated by it. I know everybody does would rather us talk about like the Texas A&M quarterback battle, but I'm fascinated by this. No, I mean, well, this is going to make a huge, huge difference. And like you just said, you almost want to be, you, you don't want to be last, but you also don't want to be first as you're going through this whole process. You almost want, you know, someone to go before you. Now, the SEC is going to lead a lot of it because they're most, the most marketing dollars and like the highest potential for um, like revenue or contracting is going to be in the SEC because of the, the nature of the conference. But like you just said, if you're first, you might end up limiting yourself in some ways, you almost want to be very second to the rulemaking process in all of this. I, Watch people kind of stumble and then yeah. come back behind them second. I agree. With you, I agree with you on the rules. I don't agree with you on the like Tennessee. And I'll use go back to Tennessee because I think they're doing it the best so far of anybody in the SEC. Tennessee was kind of first to launch their little collective, and they're up yeah. and running. That's already impacting twenty twenty three recruiting. 
Like they are already yeah. doing better in the 2023 recruiting class because they had their company up and running first. It is yeah. already, it's already affecting recruiting. The and regulation side's different. That, that yeah, the, like Jesus, Congress, really? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Congress has no desire to get involved in all this. It just needs to be all the rules. Congress is busy. Yeah, they might be. They might be busy. So anyway, it's fascinating stuff. It's sort of evolving. We will pride ourselves on admitting when we're wrong. I was wrong about the dollar figures. Yes, there's still lots of mom and pop shops doing $5,000 deals. But what we're talking about now, and if you go back and listen to our collective episode a couple of weeks ago, we're talking about $20, $30 million for a recruiting class through the collective, which isn't sanctioned by the school, which I still want to know how the boss of the collective and the head football coach are going to jive talent acquisition. Like, how are you going to like, is the, is the guy running the collective going to call Josh Heupel and be like, Hey, I got a six, three, 240 pound defensive end. Do you want him? And Josh Heupel's going to be like, Oh, he doesn't fit my scheme. Like what, what do we, how that's illegal. You can't do that. I know, but, but you know, that's going to happen. Crazier things have been done. Oh, you know, the information's going to, Gonna it'll, it'll find its way yes exactly yeah exactly nick's who nick saban does and doesn't want will find its way to the alabama collective somehow like a really effective game of telephone <laughs> no i said i didn't want that player what are you talking about <laughs> um all right some quick so, so before we get to chris spatola and again i'm fascinated why folks honestly watch this play out over the next three and a half four weeks watch how it works because if the the point guard for arkansas has an unbelievable game and they all of a sudden beat Gonzaga in the second or third round in the Sweet 16. Like, how fast can they turn around merchandise, marketing, promotional materials, and get him out there? Because he's going to be super popular across the whole country. And this is his only earning window. Who was it last year? Like, let's go with let's go with an SEC foe here. Because my parents went to Valparaiso. Bryce Drew. Bryce Drew in 1998 hits a game-winning three, and he's your former head coach. So you know yep. him, too. So Bryce Drew hits a game-winning buzzer-beater three in the first round of the NCAA tournament to beat Ole Miss. How fast can that kid get his face onto an advertisement and profit on his name, image, and likeness? Because three weeks later, it's not going to matter anymore. He's he's going to be out of the collective consciousness at that point. So I yeah. can't wait. I can't wait to see how fast what it looks like over the next month. And then, do they also have? Do you have? Do you go ahead and have deals in place with companies who can? you know, market, all I can think of is what's the insurance company. That's like, like, I don't know if there's, that's not really the exact right idea, but if someone comes in and just completely, you know, uh, knocks out a two seed, like a a 15 knocks out a two and they have some marketing campaign around this guy, like creating chaos. I mean, Gonzaga is great, but Jalen Suggs is who, yeah, Bryce Drew is the perfect example. And then more currently Jalen Suggs was, you know, more well-known than like, some people would be like in on a team that's not Gonzaga, but he wasn't a household name for people that don't, I mean, everybody watches March Madness. So if you weren't following really, really closely, like for people in the sports world, people knew who he was, but all of a sudden everyone in the world knew who Jalen Suggs was. The the best players in college basketball, even on the best teams are only relevant into national advertisers for like a month. Yeah. So how quickly can you pivot? Yeah. That will be really interesting. Like Zakai Ziegler for Tennessee is a very marketable personality, but he's not, done, he's not big enough to be worth anything yet. Mm-hmm. But if he were to like, if he were to get his, like, again, don't even think about buzzer beaters. Think about all the other cool stuff that happens in college basketball. Let's say he gets like elbowed in the nose and has like blood coming down his face and like, but he makes yeah. a great, but he makes a great defensive play. Right. Right. Like that's a t-shirt waiting to happen. A bloody face point guard who's undersized to, like he's got this personality and this big story now. How do we get that out there and marketable and helping our brand, quote unquote, brand? Like, yeah, like how would how would a how would a health insurance company like what if they had been able to jump on the Kevin Ware moment? <laughs> oh, oh, the guy who broke his leg for Louisville. Yeah, yeah Louisville. Exactly. Right, right. Accidents, yeah. accidents happen. Accidents uh, happen. Yeah. <laughs> but how fast can that be turned around? What are the NCAA rules? What are your state rules? All this stuff has to be considered. Because again, if you are on call as an athlete, you're not allowed to do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So then it's then it becomes a recruiting. It's it's so fascinating. It's so yeah, great thing to look out for. That'll be that'll be fun to watch and see how that plays out. It is so fascinating, um, and I think important to note, women, female athletes are going to make a fortune off of this, and that is awesome. 
Yeah, awesome. all for that. Awesome. <laughs> are you? Are you, Aaron? <laughs> I am. I am. Maybe uh, they'll actually a, have a decent weight room too. Yeah. One day. Uh, okay. So quickly, let's do some fan rules here. Just a quick, because again, I'm just so tired of people complaining about seed lines. Like, if you're good enough to make the final four, it doesn't matter what seed line you're on. If you're a two or a three, it doesn't matter. So I thought we'd raise some 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 rules here for football fans to be just better. Just be better. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to let, I'm going to run them past you and see what you think. Okay. okay. Number one rule kickers are people too. We do need to remember this. Kickers have all the, all the glory and all the hurt. What, what inspired this particular one, Braden, anything? John Vaughn, Fair enough. Uh, former Auburn, former Auburn field goal kicker who missed five field goals in a game, I believe against LSU and they lost. And then of course received death threats for the rest of his career. Just is anybody, I think we can all agree. That's just too much. Yeah. Kickers are people and they didn't cost your team. We'll get to didn't cost your team in just a second. All right. Okay. Good. Good. First rule. We like that one. Great. Great. First rule. Kickers are, are people am I supposed too. to be rating these? Uh, I'm sure if you want to. No, it's okay. Three Jasper's burgers. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Number two, don't tweet at recruits. Just don't do it. Don't tell them uh, you wish that their ACL is torn. If they go somewhere else, don't tell them that they're, you know, don't try to expose them for breaking the NIL rules. Like don't try to just don't tweet at them. I'm going to translate all of these rules, even though they are kind of in layman's terms, but I'm going to translate them one step further. Okay. This rule is called get a life. <laughs> Have something else to do besides tweet at recruits. You're 49 and they're 17. Get a life. <laughs> so, so rule number one, kickers are people too. the John Vaughn rule. Rule number two, don't tweet at recruits, the get a life rule. Yes. Uh, rule number three, the officials don't hate your team. The, the SEC, the SEC offices are Greg Sankey is not calling the head of officials and telling the head of officials to make calls against your team. It's not happening. There's 130 plays, 170 plays in a football game. You had opportunities to win or lose the game in other plays. It wasn't the officials fault. Ooh, this is the same with the committee. The committee doesn't hate your team. They're just doing the best they can. Yeah. This is like the. Oh, what is this rule called? I had it on the tip of my tongue, but I'm doing good just to be sitting up straight right now. You got you got two right. You got two pretty good. Pretty okay, good. I'll go back to that one. Officials don't hate your team. Now, to be fair, I they hate don't your, care that much. I hate your team. I, I hate all of your teams. Just mm -hmm. so you know. What's the thing where people say I wasn't I wasn't something. I wasn't thinking about you at all. <laughs> You know what I'm trying I have to say? No clue what you're talking about. God, I I'm not a fun. English. I'm not a fun young person anymore, so I don't know. Okay, we'll go back. You, to but it. you know what I am? I'm a classy fan, so I don't. I think keep. I think kickers are people. I don't tweet at recruits, and I know that officials didn't cost my team the game. Okay. Mm -hmm. Here's this one's a little bit more complicated, but know your media. And we just got done talking about this, right? That uh, with Godfrey and some of the media, there there is space in the media nowadays for everything. If you want hot takes. If you want conversation, if you want yelling and screaming, if you want Homer fandom, if you want the team to produce content, which you've done uh, at, at your alma mater where you're creating documentaries and creating really cool content, schools are production companies at this point. So you have to know, know which media are going to give you a, your team a fair shake. Know which people covering your team, which men and women are going to give you an accurate, objective analysis, and which ones are going to give you either hate or homerism and sort mm -hmm. of un you have to understand which ones are which and sometimes you might want the homer take and just go get you some homerism all right right you might want it to be blatantly you know homerific if you want it to be critical or if you want it like just know your media to know what each person is sort of all about if that makes sense i know that one's a little tougher but it's like a right up the middle role but if you're seeking higher or lower you can find it but if you just want <laughs> given to you straight, I'm going to get through this episode. Come on, man. Given to you, you straight. <laughs> there are outlets that you can find the truth in. Just depends on if you want it. Last but not least, no gunfights. <laughs> I feel like this is a no brainer. And really it just is no fights. If you're at a sports bar and you're in public and something happens to your team, don't get in a fight. If you're at the stadium and something happens to your team, don't get in a fight. If you're at the trailer park, don't pull out your shotgun and get in a fight after a sporting event. It's not that serious. As my, as my three-year-old 
walked into our bedroom and said the other day to 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 her five-year-old sister life is just not that hard <laughs> no she didn't i swear to god my five-year-old was kind of whining and crying and the three-year-old walked in and just goes life's just not that hard <laughs> that is so funny and really defines their relationship it was perfect it was <laughs> perfect awesome no no gunfights okay just not that serious no gunfights that should go without saying but you know Alabama fan looking at you. Looking at you, Alabama fan. All right. No gunfight. It's happened to LSU too, hasn't it? So that's what I've got. If you want to submit some, uh, I would say don't pull out your genitalia in public, but LSU fans, they've already blown through that rule. So um, at the. (laughs) You uh, only make rules that might be followed, and apparently that one won't be. (laughs) Kickers are people too. Don't tweet at recruits. Officials don't hate your team. Know your media and no gunfights. Sound good? Those are great. I think we solved some problems today on the show. You killed that. Thank you. All right. Are we done? I think we are. All right. Chris Spatola from ESPN is going to cover a whole lot of stuff. He's going to break down Tennessee's chances at a, at a national championship, Kentucky's chances at a national championship, why he's not buying the Auburn Tigers. Uh, he Arkansas, he likes them. Not so sure on Alabama and LSU. He, got a, he has his final four picks. And also, what would it look like if college, the power five, the college football power five, controlled every slot of the tournament, and that was just the 65-team tournament? What would what would it look like if we actually did have a breakaway and it was just the 65 team tournament of college football teams? What do the fans do? What does the media do? How does that all look? He's got it all for you. He's got it covered. So when we come back, you will hear from Chris Spatola of ESPN. Fringe Element is brought to you by you can do it, Aaron. Jaspers, it's where you go to watch the tournament if you're not at the tournament. If you are in Nashville, it's that's exactly what it is, actually. If you are in Nashville on let's say Thursday, when depending on when you're listening to this, and it's perhaps in the afternoon, you will perhaps find myself and other 440 sports hosts at Jaspers watching basketball, probably around that 1 p.m. Central Time mark. Just throwing it out there assuming that they're up there in good health at that point. It's the best place to watch games. There's a lot of TVs. It is set up for this. There's an actual game room with a big screen. So you could be playing games while watching games. You can even rent that out and have all of your friends there to watch your, your team in the tournament. There you go. Should be a a great call. Come on by. Somebody should do that. Come on by Jasper's Thursday afternoon. We're going to be there. We're going to be watching games. We'll be drinking libations. We'll what time? Eating, I got to get this in my planner. We'll be eating burgers and <laughs> and and uh, Cracker Jack wings or whatever they're called. And the, the sweet potato fries with barbecue and shrimp and good. All the good stuff from Jasper's. We will be consuming it and watching basketball deep into the evening. I'll take an Uber home even though I can park for free. So, yeah, you're allowed to drink that early because it's March Madness. A hundred percent the rule. Yep. It's, it's also a rule for good fandom. You can That's drink. You can drink before 2 p.m. if it's during March Madness. Yeah, and your team doesn't even have to be playing according to this rule slash law. It's a nice addendum. I like that. Yes. It's a strong addendum by you. So go to Jasper's. It's the next evolution of the sports bar. They got great food, great happy hour. It's a great place to watch the tournament this weekend and the next weekend. Uh, Great place to watch Predators games if you're a Nashville Predators fan. They got great happy hours for that. So grab and go market, free parking, all the great stuff. Go to Jasper's. Jasper's. Chris, good to see you, man. Welcome to the show. Always a pleasure. And I guess I'll start with one of your tweets, which involved Tennessee, uh, Texas A&M, you know, seeding and not getting into the tournament. Just before we get to can Kentucky win the whole thing and, you know, all this stuff in the tournament, um, your thoughts on on Tennessee's seed line. Did they truly get screwed by the committee by being given a three seed? And should Texas A&M have been in the tournament? Well, you know, here's the thing, Braden. like s- screwed means that the committee intended to put them on a seed line that they they didn't it doesn't make any sense. And so I don't know if they intended to do that or not. I, I, I don't understand any of the rationales we've been given. Um, I mean, by any analytical measure, by any, uh, there is a much more compelling argument that Tennessee would be the best two 
than than it would a three. I mean, there's by any analytical measure. And and that's what we're told now that this is this is what this thing is about. I mean, I wrote the numbers down this morning. Tennessee's 16 and seven in the first two quadrants. They have zero losses outside Q1, which is clearly a top eight resume. You compare that to like, for example, a Duke, which was six and two in Q1, six and three in Q2. So they're 12 and five in the first two quadrants. Tennessee has five more Q1 wins than Duke does. That's just an example. The problem I have is that these teams that played in the SEC and in the Big 12, which were the two best conferences the entire season, hands down, I felt like these teams, so Tennessee, for example, with that seeding mistake, and then the other two teams that I mentioned in that tweet, Texas A&M and Oklahoma, which were left out of the field, those teams are being punished for playing in good conferences. Like the rationale from Tony Burnett on Oklahoma and Texas A&M not making it, more so Oklahoma, was that they had all these Q1 opportunities and they only won four Q1 games. They won five games against top 15 teams. I'm talking about Oklahoma. That rationale, I, I don't accept. Like you, th this is, and we get down to this discussion where, you know, we got a lot of folks out there who have a bleeding heart for these mid-majors. We get a Wyoming put in the field and we leave out an Oklahoma and, and a Texas A&M who played in the two best conferences all season long. And the rationale from the committee is that, well, they didn't, they had all of these opportunities and they didn't win enough Q1 games. Well, they're playing Q1 opponents. <laughs> so th those are the biggest gripes I, that I had. And, and the problem I have with the coverage from the committee, Braden, is that they get up there in front of the camera and the rationale does not make any sort of uh, sense that follows through. Yeah, there, there was a lot of rambling on uh, on TV on Sunday afternoon. That That is for yeah. sure, Sunday evening. I, I guess, and, and let's spin this forward because we're going to yell and scream about this for a couple of days and then basketball is going to start and we're all going to forget about it. And Because essentially, if you are good enough, and Tennessee is good enough, Kentucky is good enough, I'm not sure about Auburn, but I want to get your thoughts on this. If you're good enough and, you, you, and you're playing well enough and you do the things you're supposed to, you're going you're gonna to give yourself a chance to get to the Final Four, especially Kentucky and Tennessee and I guess to a lesser extent, maybe Auburn, but it, all you're really changing, if you switch them with Villanova, for example, and put them on the two line, right. the difference between getting to the Sweet 16 to face each other is probably not all that that great. And really, you're just talking about the color of the uniform at that point, if those two teams were to play. So let's say, forget all the, all the stuff we just complained about. Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, if you want to include Arkansas, I guess you can, but they've got Gonzaga looming. Which of those teams do you like best to go the furthest? Which team is best situated to go the furthest? It's probably Tennessee. Um, and first of all, I think they're playing the best of all of those teams. Um, I, here's the other thing. Like, I, I have in, – in that, in that region right there, like, I think, I think either Villanova or Tennessee is, is going to end up making the Final Four. I actually have Villanova. But, again, like, to your point, it doesn't really ultimately matter. But – I mean, to me, to answer your question, like I think of those teams, I think Tennessee is probably playing the best. Um, I think Villanova poses a, a, a difficult matchup. But in terms of the path, like I see both of those teams getting to that point where you you end up playing, um, you know, you end up playing in that elite eight. But look, I, I think overall, um, when you look at a Tennessee and I don't have to tell you, I mean, you follow them as closely as anybody. Um, guard play is a big, big deal at this time of the year. Um, I think the ability to have shot makers ends up being a big deal because these games slow down. They, they are inherently lower possession, slower games in the yep. NCAA tournament. Um, I think some of the shot makers that they have found over the, the, the you know, last couple of weeks of the season, I think is a big deal for Tennessee. Um, so, I, I mean, I think they are of those teams you mentioned. It's, one, it's obviously the reason they won the SEC tournament. I think they're playing the best out of that grouping. Kentucky, let's start with the, the Wildcats. I, I like the way this team is made up. You've got a veteran point guard. You've got a dominant big man. It does feel like they're more of a half-court team, even though they want to get out and run a little bit. Is, is this one of John Calipari's best teams in terms of how it's built, how it's constructed, a lot of leadership, all transfers, no one-and-dones? Like, I, I like Kentucky to come out of their region as well to get to the Final Four, and I've, yeah. I've long believed that this is the best team in the SEC. I know Tennessee's playing better right now. What will be Kentucky's downfall if it doesn't make a deep run? They have to make shots, you know, and, and so that that's a big part of that is getting Kellen Grady going back back uh, again. Davion Mintz had been shooting the ball well. 
Um, and they just had a, they had a bad game in the SEC tournament. Um, he, here's, you know, the, the thing with, with Kentucky that I like, Braden, that's different to your point, is th- this team to me is more equipped to, to make a run because of how old they are. Like th- this is as old a group, and, and I love how Cal sort of under the cut has made this transition, you know, to now we're going to be old. And that's what Calipari does. Like he kind of goes with where he thinks the, the trend is headed. Um, and, and this is where the trend is headed. Um, you've got, I mean, look, you have the best player in the country, arguably. He's not the most talented, but he's obviously been the most dominant in terms of, of that skill set, in terms of rebounding the basketball. Um, I think the game's the loss. Like when you go back, and one of the things I do this time of year, Brain, is I go back and I look at games the teams have lost, the teams that I think could win, potentially get to a Final Four. And you look at a bulk of those losses that Kentucky took during the season, they were missing guys either going into that game or they were missing guys that, that got hurt during those games. Um, and so I think some of those losses were a little bit obscured for Kentucky. But w- when you play the way they do, when you play as fast as they do, and when you really want to take advantage of how good Severe Goodman is, you, you've got to be able to knock down perimeter shots. And when they had that stretch, you know, second half of SEC play, Braden, they were really shooting the ball well. I mean, those two guys, Grady and Mintz especially, we're really, really shooting the basketball well. So if, I mean, look, it's not like you can just turn on a, a switch and, 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 you know, start making shots. But I, I think there's a lot to trust about this group just because of how old they are and the composition of, the, you know, the profile uh, of, of the guys that they have. So why do I not trust Auburn then? Because they, their guard play has been spotty, and I, I don't want to kind of hit the, 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 talk, the universal talking point. But, you know, again, I'm a big believer, and it, it is cliche, but – um, you, you've got to be able to, to, to have guards, you know, who, who you rely on. And the thing with Auburn, again, analyze the losses. The, the problem for Auburn has been their inability to finish games, they, their, their play down the stretch of games. Even in the loss the other day in the SEC tournament, like they can't make plays late in that game, um, which is a problem. Uh, the other thing is that's a concern for me is Walker Kessler's health. Um, you know, like that shoulder has, it, it looked to me to be a bit of an issue over the last couple games of the regular season and then in the SEC tournament. Um, and then look, their best players, Jabari Smith, but it's the same argument I would make for Duke and Paolo Bancaro. Those guys are not Carmelo Anthony or Kevin Durant freshmen. They're going to go obviously at the top of the draft, but they're not put the team on, on my back and carry them to a final four like a Carmelo did. They're just not those types of players, especially when, in the case of Jabari, I don't like where you're always where you're getting them the basketball. So there's just a lot of unreliability about Auburn that I think, you know, started to pop up its head down the, down the end of the season. Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Wade, right? Like that takes Marquette to Great the example. final four. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Arkansas, LSU, Alabama, there's talent there. Tons of it. Lots, lots of other things as well for all those three teams. Any, Anybody else from the SEC you like to do any damage, or is it basically just those big three? No, I, I think it's those big three. Um, I, you know, I like Arkansas, uh, and and you know they ran into a bit of a buzzsaw. They ran into a really a, a, a Texas A&M team that was shooting as well as the, as they've shot it all year. And and again, I mean, this is what makes the tournament one of the magical things that it is. Is is and it's how you know sometimes you when you're looking at an upset teams that shoot the ball well. Um, can shoot you out of a game they can also you know upset or or can shoot you into a game and I think that's kind of what what happened with Texas A&M but I thought Arkansas was playing really really well Um, again they have a lot to trust on the perimeter Um, J.D. Note I I thought really it was on a mission towards the end of the season Um, there's too much going on with LSU and I don't trust them enough and I don't think they have enough winning fiber winning mentality there's too much negative going on not, not just with Will Wade, but that permeates, you know, now all of a sudden guys, you wonder where their heads are at. So I, I'm not real high on them. I, I think Arkansas has got the potential. I think they're playing in a tough region. Yeah. Um, but I think of those teams you mentioned, I think Arkansas is probably the other one. Well, and Alabama can beat at literally every single team in the entire tournament and could yeah. lose in the first game. So that's the beauty of Alabama. Uh, your final four as of when time of taping here early in the week, who's your final four? Yeah, I've got I've got Gonzaga um, and, I, and they're going to be hard to beat, man. Like, I, I just I think they are. Remember. Stuff carries over and and it has carried over over multiple years, like everybody wants to say, 
well, they haven't won a national championship. Yeah, but they've, they've won a lot of games in this tournament. And by the way, played in a title game last year and there's DNA left over. So I, I think, I think, in, and by the way, I think their region's tough, but they don't have to play the tough part of that region. Uh, so I like Gonzaga. I like Kentucky. We've talked about, I like Kansas, you know, Kansas had a hell of a year. And I think everybody spent so much time nitpicking Kansas instead of focusing on what Kansas does really well. Kansas is one of the best offensive teams, one of the most explosive offensive teams in, in, in college basketball. They've, they've had one of, they've got a, a, an All-American in Ochai Abaji. They've got another guy who I thought was screwed out of first team all Big 12 in Christian Brown. And then I think if anybody watched the Big 12 tournament, the Big 12 was, you know, they in the SEC were the two best conferences all year. I think what people fail to realize is Kansas shared the regular season title and they won the conference tournament title. I mean, that's how good that team was this year. And I think anybody who watched the, the, the Big 12 tournament saw that Remy Martin is started to play better. Like he's been hurt all year. And I was talking to Bill Self. I did one of their games a couple of weeks ago. And I said, what's the ceiling? Like, how do you become a Final Four team? And he said, we have to see what Remy does. Like if Remy comes back and he's effective, we got a chance to be really good. He's back, played well in Kansas City. So I like Kansas. And then I've got Villanova. But like I said, I, this is the one I'm least sure about. Yep. Here's what I yep. do know. It's either going to be Villanova or Tennessee out of that region. <laughs> I, I do not trust Arizona as much. I agree. Um, you know, I think they're kind of an upstart. Doesn't mean they're, I don't think they're good. Uh, but not having Kirk Crease is a big deal. So I, I think it's uh, – I've got Nova, but it could be Nova or Tennessee out of that region. It's probably frowned upon to read your own tweets during a, during an interview, but I sent this at 5.55 p.m. on Sunday. Gonzaga over Kentucky, Kansas over Villanova, Gonzaga over Kansas. Yeah. I, I mean – I like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we both agree with the volatility me, this year is going to be interesting. Yeah, you're with me, bud. Um, all right, let me, let me shift gears here a little bit and talk media with you for just a second. And yeah. – what is the one thing that this sport, like what's the one problem with the media that covers this sport? Is it parachuting in in March and, and not understanding the full complexity of the season? Is it the committee behind closed doors making decisions and their inability to explain it? What, what is the one media hurdle that this sport faces that if they could clear m might allow the game to, to flourish in a, in a more successful way? Well, in this particular year, it's Tom Brady's announcement. <laughs> and, and I'm and I'm not even making a joke. Like I thought, oh, I know, what he did I last know. night was disgusting. You know, like it's, it's he waited until he waited until after the selection show, at least, bro. It's it was lowball, man. It's exploiting. Like he had to do. I understand the timing, but like college basketball gets screwed as a result of that. So, I, but the, obviously, that's a that's a one off. But it's a killer, man. Look, I don't mind the parachuting in. I, I have to laugh at some of the analysis because these people, you know, instead of saying, look, I've only been covering the sport for a week and a half, <laughs> right. they, they, they come off like they're experts. That I have a problem with. But the parachuting in, brother, you know, the sport could use as much coverage as it can get. So, like, I welcome all parties. Come on in. The, the problem I have is, hey, look, I work for ESPN. So full disclosure. And after I say what I'm about to say, I'm probably never going to work for CBS. But, you know, and it kind of goes along with the parachuting in, but you have, you have a network covering the, the biggest event, one of the biggest events in all of playoffs, in all of sports playoffs, that doesn't cover the sport all year. And, and, and then you have a network that does cover the bulk of it for, for the season that is now sort of extricated from the party. Look, CBS and Turner paid a lot of money for it. But when you've got some of the people, and I won't, I mean, we know who they are, some of the people who do come in and have to start covering the sport, I, I think it makes it more about, you know, putting those people on screen and trying to drive attention through those people than necessarily the product itself. And I think it does itself a disservice. I thought it was short-sighted by the NCAA when they, you know, the first time they took the tournament away uh, from ESPN, I thought it was, it was a money grab and, and we know why. I mean, this tournament makes the bulk of, of what the NCAA makes in terms of revenue. Um, so so that's that's the big thing. And then the, the committee is an, another big part of this. And, you know, I'll leave the CFP discussion to you, but I think it's in the same bag. These people get up on camera and it's not that they're not smart people. It's that they don't want to box themselves in to like whatever answer they're about to give. The problem with that 
is is you create i think more a lack of transparency creates creates more distrust and, and i think some of these questions need to be answered and what ends up happening is you end up marginalizing you know teams like a tennessee you end up marginalizing these fan bases by giving incomplete answers and so i think the the committee and the lack of transparency and the lack of willingness to answer these questions by the way to these entities that that have paid a lot of money for your product i've never understood that is there a way like i think some of the parachuting like you said some of it's good like charles barkley just sort of admits i think what he does well is he just admits he's like yeah i've never watched these teams but like i'm watching this game and i in the game he's really good at analyzing the game because he's this larger than life personality with lots of you know thought he's a, a smart basketball guy I don't want him on selection Sunday breaking down the net ranking of like a nine seed. I don't, I don't want to hear that shit from him, but I want to hear him talk about what he's seeing in a game because then I think it brings more people to the sport, which I think can be a good thing. So I think there's some people that are, that, that, that it works well with if they do it, if they do it correctly. Um, when you look at all these weird conversations about where college sports is headed with these sort of, the autonomy five soon to take control of, of every voting right in, in the sport here in a couple of years. Do, and there's been lots of rumors about this, about, and just, and just talk about a 65 team. They're their own tournament. It's its own thing. When you hear something like that, because you did, you are pro Texas A&M pro Oklahoma, big conference, tougher schedule, more proven team. That's probably quote unquote better than a Wyoming. What do you think of when you think of the sport being it's, having its own 65 teams doing its own product and trying to go out and sell that to a TV partner. I can understand the desire to do it. And you remember Bob Huggins had the comment, uh, it was back, you know, beginning of the season, right. Where, um, you know, he was basically positing that the, the power five or power six in college basketball, if you include the big East should, should break away. And I, I can understand why, why those parties would want to do it um, in this day and age where this thing becomes all about money and it, it becomes all about, you know, by the way, like folks are losing jobs. I mean, that's how valuable the NCAA tournament is to, to a discussion about coaches. Coaches lose jobs over not getting to the NCAA tournament. And so when you look at a decision where we're going to put a Wyoming, which, which has an inferior, inferior resume to some of these other power five teams, I don't understand, like, I can understand why, you know, some of these power five, power six coaches would want to do that, Braden, and, and just say, look, we don't trust the NCAA. And by the way, the NCAA is going to be obsolete in probably five years. So why would we attach ourselves when college football obviously broke away years ago and has flourished as a result? Why would we continue to pay to, to allow the NCAA to control so much money in this enterprise? Why would we allow the NCA, which again, I think strategically has made decisions based on money that have hurt the sport. Why would we allow that entity to continue to manage our postseason? Yeah. Um, and why would we allow sort of this movement, this bleeding heart for these mid-majors, which look, I understand these upsets make, you know, for great drama on the first two days of the tournament. I get it. I played at a, at a low major. I played at Army. So I, I understand it. But I also understand, and, and this is the way of the world, like you play in those conferences, you are playing better schedules, you, you have the ability to make more money, you're more marketable. So I understand the argument on the other side. I don't want to lose the mid-majors, um, but, but I can understand these, these power fives coaches, you know, looking at this, this business deal and saying, wait a second, this, this doesn't seem, we are not getting a big enough of this, this pie here. If the tournament were to turn into that, do you think it, do you think it decreases interest in the tournament, but increases interest in the regular season? Like, is there a ripple effect that maybe more fans are paying attention because almost all of the teams are going to get in or does that, or does it hurt the ratings in the tournament because we're not watching, you know, a Belmont beat uh, an Iowa or whatever. I, I think as long as you have a bracket and whatever the, whatever the number of teams will be Braden, people are going to gamble on this event. People are going to watch this event and this event is going to continue to create drama. What creates the drama is not, look, I, a, a, a Northern Iowa beating a Kansas on Ali Farouk Manesh's shot, obviously that creates drama. Vermont beating Syracuse and Tom Brennan running around like a chicken without his head. Fantastic. <laughs> Amazing. But 
we had amazing moments during these other conference turn these major conference yeah. tournaments. And again, if as long as you have a bracket, and as long as you have these these teams facing off in a one and done format, you're going to have drama and people are going to watch. So I, you know, look, yeah, I get it. Vanderbilt, I Vanderbilt Kentucky. And I understand people wanting it, but it, it, to me, it's still going to be the same event that it is. Vanderbilt Kentucky, like yeah. That, that's a team that has no no business being around the NCAA tournament, but they almost knocked out Kentucky in a great right. basketball game in what would be probably a round of 32 type of matchup or sweet 16 type of matchup if the, the tournament goes that direction. Yeah. Um, all right, you're in charge. I'll let you go on this one. I know you got to go. Uh, uh, you're in charge of college basketball from a coverage, media, rights, TV, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not asking you to change the rules of the game per se, but just you're in charge of college basketball. What, what does the sport need the most to, to be successful? Man. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a large, that's a large question. Um, you know, I, I think, I think the sport needs to look at the calendar first and foremost, like we've got to get out as much as we can from under the umbrella of college football in the NFL. Now, look, the NFL keeps extending its season, so that's going to be an impossibility. I mean, they played it, what, was it February this year they played into? Yeah. You know, so, but we've got to try to get out from under that umbrella because, I mean, the first two months of the season, which, by the way, Braden, are, are two of the more exciting months in yeah. the sport. I mean, you get all those MTE events. That's where you get all the non-conference events. Like, we've got to try to, and I've said this for a long time, we've got to move the season back to like December and have the tournament in April and, and then figure, you know, CBS has to figure out the coverage of the masters and all of that. But that's, I mean, first and foremost, we've got to figure out the calendar because I think you're, you're, you're really putting yourself in a, in a real bind there. Um, you know, we, we've got to figure out, you know, who's in charge. Like the, again, the NCA runs this thing as a money grab. And I think the thing with college football, outside of the fact that football's a great sport that everybody loves, I'm not marginalizing that, but these conference commissioners run the entire enterprise. And I think we've given the NCA too much power over a sport. Mostly it's post postseason. I mean, that's what drives college basketball. We've given that entity too much control over our sport and they've made decisions not in the best interest of the sport, They've made decisions based on how they can make the most money. And so I think, I mean, look, whether it's a commissioner, whether it's, whether it's these conference commissioners uh, end up having a little bit more power, I think we've got to figure that out. But, but somebody's got to be in charge of the sport. And right now, we, we just, you know, we don't have somebody who's doing that. Chris, thank you so much for your time, man. I know it's a crazy week for you. Um, obviously, love watching all your work and, and uh, congrats on all the success. And uh, the first and only podcast this week that will feature two Army shirts in the Zoom call. The only yes, one. Sir. The only one. Thank you so much, Chris. You got it, Braden. Thanks, buddy. That was Chris Patola of uh, ESPN. He's got uh, Kentucky, Kansas, Villanova, and uh, Gonzaga, which is the same for I've got. Fill out your brackets, 440 Sports Tweet. It's pinned on the top of the profile there, so go check it out. Fill out your bracket. Entry is free, just like the parking at Jasper's. It is free, and they will be giving away a $100 gift card to the winner, so make sure you go sign up and check that out. So thanks to Chris Patola for joining us. You know, his thoughts, Aaron, on... It doesn't matter who's in the bracket. As long as there's a bracket that people can fill out and argue about and gamble on, if it's 65 teams and even if it's a bunch of bad teams, he thinks it doesn't matter. It's still going to be successful if, as long as there's a piece of paper with with a bracket on it. He's good. He says it doesn't matter. I feel that. Um, I kind of like it the way it is, but... I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. But it but is. The, there's the, something... I, there's magic to it. I don't any, ever want that to be stripped away from it. Are you suggesting that a Georgia basketball team that's won six games this year, if they are going up as a 16 seed against number one seeded Kentucky, that it, there wouldn't be any magic there? <laughs> a mm -hmm. Georgia team that's like six and 25. <laughs> it excites me less than other things excite me. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I agree. It removes the magic, but at the same time, if the 65 teams can keep all the money for themselves and not share it with all those mid-major teams. That would suck. I would hate that. Pretty big market force though, right? I would hate it. I love that the there being mid-majors is 
what part of what I think makes tournament what it is. That would be very sad to me. I, I agree with you. And you know who else agrees with you? Ali Farouk Manesh. He agrees with you as well. And if you know who that is, Kansas Jayhawk fans, then you'll then you know. If you don't, ask somebody. Um, go to Jasper's, everybody. Aaron, where can people find you? Um, the Aaron Dugan on Twitter and Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. There you have it. Make sure you check out the YouTube page as well. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Enjoy the tournament, everybody. We'll be back next week with uh, State of the Union and returning starters and back to hardcore football. But uh, enjoy the NCAA tournament, everybody. Fill out a bracket, join the 440 Sports Group, and we'll give out some free stuff uh, a little bit later on this month as well. For Aaron, for Chris, my name is Braden. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. I don't have it in me today. I'm sorry.